Sketches by Boz, Section 56. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Sketches by Boz, by Charles Dickens, Section 56. Tales, Chapter 10. A Passage in the Life of Mr. Watkins Tottle, Chapter the Second. "'The first coach has not come in yet, has it, Tom?' inquired Mr. Gabriel Parsons, as he very complacently paced up and down the fourteen feet of gravel which bordered the lawn on the Saturday morning which had been fixed upon for the Beulah Spa jaunt. "'No, sir, I haven't seen it,' replied a gardener in a blue apron, who let himself out to do the ornamental for half a crown a day and his keep. "'Time Tottle was down,' said Mr. Gabriel Parsons, ruminating. "'Oh, here he is, no doubt,' added Gabriel, as a cab drove rapidly up the hill, and he buttoned his dressing-gown and opened the gate to receive the expected visitor. The cab stopped, and out jumped a man in a coarse Petersham grey coat, whitey-brown neckerchief, faded black suit, gamboge-coloured top-boots, and one of those large crowned hats formerly seldom met with, but now very generally patronised by gentlemen and costermongers. "'Mr. Parsons,' said the man, looking at the superscription of a note he held in his hand, and addressing Gabriel with an inquiring air. "'My name is Parsons,' responded the sugar-baker. "'I brought this here note,' replied the individual in the painted tops, in a hoarse whisper. "'I brought this here note from a gentleman as come to our house this morning.' "'I expected the gentleman at my house,' said Parsons, as he broke the seal, which bore the impression of Her Majesty's profile, as it is seen on a sixpence. "'I've no doubt the gentleman would have been here,' replied the stranger, "'if he hadn't happened to call at our house first. But we never trust no gentleman further nor we can see him. No mistake about that there,' added the unknown, with a facetious grin. "'Beg your pardon, sir, no offence, man, only. Once in, and I wish you may, catch the idea, sir.' Mr. Gabriel Parsons was not remarkable for catching anything suddenly but a cold. He therefore only bestowed a glance of profound astonishment on his mysterious companion, and proceeded to unfold the note of which he had been the bearer. Once opened, and the idea was caught with very little difficulty, Mr. Watkins Tottle had been suddenly arrested for thirty-three pounds ten shillings fourpence, and dated his communication from a lock-up house in the vicinity of Chancery Lane. "'Unfortunate affair, this,' said Parsons, refolding the note. "'Oh, nothing when you're used to it,' coolly observed the man in the Petersham. "'Tom,' exclaimed Parsons, after a few minutes' consideration, "'just put the horse in, will you? Tell the gentleman that I shall be there almost as soon as you are,' he continued, addressing the sheriff's officer's Mercury. "'Very well,' replied that important functionary, adding, in a confidential manner, "'I'd advise the gentleman's friends to settle.' "'You see, it's a mere trifle, and unless the gentleman means to go up afore the court, it's hardly worth waiting for detainers, you know. Our governor's wide awake, he is. I'll never say nothing agin him, nor no man, but he knows what's o'clock he does uncommon.' Having delivered this eloquent, and to Parsons particularly intelligible harangue, the meaning of which was eked out by divers nods and winks, the gentleman in the boots reseated himself in the cab, which went rapidly off, and was soon out of sight. Mr. Gabriel Parsons continued to pace up and down the pathway for some minutes, apparently absorbed in deep meditation. The result of his cogitation seemed to be perfectly satisfactory to himself, for he ran briskly into the house, said that business had suddenly summoned him to town, that he had desired the messenger to inform Mr. Watkins Tottle of the fact, and that they would return together to dinner. 
He then hastily equipped himself for a drive, and, mounting his jig, was soon on his way to the establishment of Mr. Solomon Jacobs, situate, as Mr. Watkins Tottle had informed him, in Cursitor Street, Chancery Lane. When a man is in a violent hurry to get on, and has a specific object in view, the attainment of which depends on the completion of his journey, the difficulties which interpose themselves in his way appear not only to be innumerable, but to have been called into existence especially for the occasion. The remark is by no means a new one, and Mr. Gabriel Parsons had practical and painful experience of its justice in the course of his drive. There are three classes of animated objects which prevent your driving with any degree of comfort or celerity through streets which are but little frequented. They are pigs, children, and old women. On the occasions we are describing, the pigs were luxuriating on cabbage-stalks, and the shuttlecocks fluttered from the little deal battledoors, and the children played in the road, and women with a basket in one hand and the street-door key in the other would cross just before the horse's head, until Mr. Gabriel Parsons was perfectly savage with vexation and quite horsing with hoying and imprecating. Then, when he got into Fleet Street, there was a stoppage, in which people and vehicles have the satisfaction of remaining stationary for half an hour, and envying the slowest pedestrians, and where policemen rush about, and seize hold of horses' bridles, and back them into shop-windows by way of clearing the road and preventing confusion. At length Mr. Gabriel Parsons turned into Chancery Lane, and having inquired for and been directed to Cursitor Street, for it was a locality of which he was quite ignorant, he soon found himself opposite the house of Mr. Solomon Jacobs. Confiding his horse and jig to the care of one of the fourteen boys who had followed him from the other side of Blackfriars Bridge, on the chance of requiring their services, Mr. Gabriel Parsons crossed the road and knocked at an inner door, the upper part of which was glass, grated like the windows of this inviting mansion with iron bars, painted white to look comfortable. The knock was answered by a sallow-faced, red-haired, sulky boy, who, after surveying Mr. Gabriel Parsons through the glass, applied a large key to an immense wooden excrescence, which was in reality a lock, but which, taken in conjunction with the iron nails with which the panels were studded, gave the door the appearance of being subject to warts. "'I want to see Mr. Watkins Tottle,' said Parsons. "'It's the gentleman you come in this morning, Jem,' screamed a voice from the top of the kitchen stairs, which belonged to a dirty woman who had just brought her chin to a level with the passage-floor. "'The gentleman's in the coffee-room.' "'Upstairs, sir,' said the boy, just opening the door wide enough to let Parsons in, without squeezing him, and double-locking it the moment he made his way through the aperture. First floor, door on the left.' Mr. Gabriel Parsons, thus instructed, ascended the uncarpeted and ill-lighted staircase, after giving several subdued taps at the before-mentioned door on the left, which were rendered inaudible by the hum of voices within the room, and the hissing noise attended on some frying operations which were carrying on below stairs, turned the handle, and entered the apartment. Being informed that the unfortunate object of his visit had just gone upstairs to write a letter, he had leisure to sit down and observe the scene before him. The room, which was a small confined den, was partitioned off into boxes, like the common room of some inferior eating-house. The dirty floor had evidently been as long a stranger to the scrubbing-brush as to the carpet or floor-cloth, and the ceiling was completely blackened by the flare of the oil-lamp by which the room was lighted at night. 
the grey ashes on the edges of the tables, and the cigar-ends which were plentifully scattered about the dusty grate, fully accounted for the intolerable smell of tobacco which pervaded the place, and the empty glasses and half-saturated slices of lemon on the tables, together with the porter-pots beneath them, bore testimony to the frequent libations in which the individuals who honoured Mr. Solomon Jacobs by a temporary resident in his house indulged over the mantel-shelf was a paltry-looking glass extending about half the width of the chimney-piece but by way of counterpoise the ashes were confined by a rusty fender about twice as long as the hearth from this cheerful room itself the attention of mr gabriel parsons was naturally directed to its inmates in one of the boxes two men were playing at cribbage with a very dirty pack of cards some with blue some with green and some with red backs selections from decayed packs the cribbage board had been long ago formed on the table by some ingenious visitor with the assistance of a pocket-knife and a two-pronged fork with which the necessary number of holes had been made in the table at proper distances for the reception of the wooden pegs in another box a stout hearty-looking man of about forty was eating some dinner which his wife an equally comfortable-looking personage had brought him in a basket and in a third a genteel-looking young man was talking earnestly and in a low tone to a young female whose face was concealed by a thick veil but whom mr gabriel parsons immediately set down in his own mind as the debtor's wife a young fellow of vulgar manners dressed in the very extreme of the prevailing fashion was pacing up and down the room with a lighted cigar in his mouth and his hands in his pockets ever and anon puffing forth volumes of smoke and occasionally applying with much apparent relish to a pint-pot the contents of which were chilling on the hob fourpence more by gum exclaimed one of the cribbage players lighting a pipe and addressing his adversary at the close of the game one would think you'd got lockin' a pepper cruet and shook it out when you wanted it well that ain't a bad un replied the other who was a horse-dealer from islington no i'm blessed if it is interposed the jolly-looking fellow who having finished his dinner was drinking out of the same glass as his wife in truly conjugal harmony some hot gin and water the faithful partner of his cares had brought a plentiful supply of the anti-temperance fluid in a large flat stone bottle which looked like a half-gallon jar that had been successfully tapped for the dropsy you're a rum chap are you mr walker will you dip your beak into this sir thank ye sir replied mr walker leaving the box and advancing to the other to accept his proffered glass here's your health sir and your good omens here gentlemen all yours and better luck still well mr willis continued the facetious prisoner addressing the young man with the cigar you seem rather down to-day floored as one might say what's the matter sir never say die you know oh i'm all right replied the smoker i shall be bailed out to-morrow shall you though inquired the other damn me i wish i could say the same i'm as regularly over head and ears as the royal george and stand about as much chance of being bailed out ha <laughs> ha why said the young man stopping short and speaking in a very loud key look at me what do you think i've stopped here two days for cause you couldn't get out i suppose interrupted mr walker winking to the company not that you're exactly obliged to stop here only you can't help it no compulsion you know only you must eh ain't here rummon inquired the delighted individual who had offered the gin and water of his wife oh he just is replied the lady who was quite overcome by these flashes of imagination. 
why my case frowned the victim throwing the end of his cigar into the fire and illustrating his argument by knocking the bottom of the pot on the table at intervals my case is a very singular one my father's a man of large property and i am his son that's a very strange circumstance interrupted the jocose mr walker in passant i am his son and have received a liberal education i don't owe no man nothing not the value of a farthing but i was induced you see to put my name to some bills for a friend bills to a large amount i may say a very large amount for which i didn't receive no consideration what's the consequence why well, i suppose the bills went out and you came in the acceptances weren't taken up and you were eh inquired walker to be sure replied the liberally educated young gentleman to be sure and so here i am locked up for a matter of twelve hundred pound why don't you ask your own governor to stump up inquired walker with a somewhat sceptical air oh bless you he'd never do it replied the other in a tone of expostulation never why it's very odd to be sure interposed the owner of the flat bottle mixing another glass but i've been in difficulties as one may say now for thirty year i went to pieces when i was in a milk-walk thirty years ago arterwards when i was a fruiterer and kept a spring-wan and arter that again in the coal and tater line but all that time i never see a youngish chap come into a place of this kind who wasn't goin out again directly and who hadn't been arrested on bills when he'd been given a friend and for which he'd received nothing whatsoever not a fraction oh it's always the cry said walker i can't see the use on it that's what makes me so wild why i should have a much better opinion of an individual if he'd say at once in an honourable and gentlemanly manner as he'd done everybody he possibly could ay to be sure interposed the horse-dealer with whose notions of bargain and sale the axiom perfectly coincided so should i the young gentleman who had given rise to these observations was on the point of offering a rather angry reply to these sneers but the rising of the young man before noticed and of the female who had been sitting by him to leave the room interrupted the conversation she had been weeping bitterly and the noxious atmosphere of the room acting upon her excited feelings and delicate frame rendered the support of her companion necessary as they quitted it altogether there was an air of superiority about them both and something in their appearance so unusual in such a place that a respectful silence was observed until the whirr-bang of the spring-door announced that they were out of hearing. It was broken by the wife of the ex-fruiterer. "'Poor creature,' said she, quenching a sigh in a rivulet of gin and water. "'She's very young. She's a nice-looking woman, too,' added the horse-dealer. "'What's he in for, Ikey?' inquired Walker, of an individual who was spreading a cloth with numerous blotches of mustard upon it on one of the tables, and whom Mr. Gabriel Parsons had no difficulty in recognising as the man who had called upon him in the morning. "'Why,' responded the factotum, "'it's one of the rummiest rigs you ever heard on. He come in here last Wednesday, which by the boy he's a-goin' over the water to-night, howsoever that's neither here nor there.' You see, I've been going backwards and forwards about his business, and have managed to pick up some of the story from the servants and them, and so far as I can make out, it seems to be summer to this here effect. Cut it short, old fellow, interrupted Walker, who knew from former experience that he of the top-boots was neither very concise nor intelligible in his narratives. Let me alone, replied Ikey, and all I wound up and made my lucky in five seconds. 
this here young gentleman's father so i'm told mind ye and the father of the young woman have always been on very bad out and out regular knock-me-down sort of terms but somehow or another when he was a visitin at some gentlefolks house as he knowed at college you come into contact with the young lady he seed her several times and then he up and said he'd keep company with her if so be as she was agreeable well she was as sweet upon him as he was upon her and so i s'pose they made it all right for they got married about six months afterwards unbeknown mind you to the two fathers leastwise so i'm told when they heard of it my eyes there was such a combustion starvation was the very least they was to be done to em the young gentleman's father cut em off with a bob cause he cut himself off with a wife and the young lady's father he behaved even worser and more unnatural for he not only blowed her up dreadful and swore he'd never see her again but he employed a chap as i knows and as you knows mr walker a precious sight too well to go about and buy up the bills and them things on which the young husband thinking his governor had come round again had raised the vin just to blow himself on with for a time beside which he made all the interest he could to set other people again him consequence was that he paid as long as he could but things he never expected to have to meet till he'd have time to turn himself round came fast upon him and he was nabbed he was brought here as i said afore last wednesday and i think there's about uh, half a dozen detainers again him downstairs now i have been added ikey in the profession these fifteen year and i never met with such vindictiveness afore poor creatures exclaimed the coal-dealer's wife once more again resorting to the same excellent prescription for nipping a sigh in the bud ah when they've seen as much trouble as i and my old man here have they'll be as comfortable under it as we are the young lady's a pretty creature said walker only she's a little too delicate for my taste there ain't enough of her as for the young cove he may be very respectable and what not but he's too down in the mouth for me he ain't game game exclaimed ikey who had been altering the position of a green-handled knife and fork at least a dozen times in order that he might remain in the room under the pretext of having something to do he's game enough when there's anything to be fierce about but who could be game as you call it mr walker with a pale young creature like that hanging about him it's enough to drive any man's heart into his boots to see him together and no mistake at all about it Oh, i shall never forget her first coming here he wrote to her on the thursday to come i know he did cause i took the letter uncommon fidgetry he was all day to be sure and in the evening he goes down into the office and he says to jacob says he sir can i have the loan of a private room for a few minutes this evening without incurring any additional expense just to see my wife in says he jacobs looked as much as to say strike me bountiful if you ain't one of the modest sort but as the gentleman who had been in the back parlour had just gone out and had paid for it that day he says wery grave sir says he it's again our rules to let private rooms to our lodgers on gratis terms but says he for a gentleman i don't mind breaking through them for once so he turns round to me and says ikey put two mould candles in the back parlour and charge em to this gentleman's account which i did for by the by a hackney cook comes up to the door and there sure enough was the young lady wrapped up in a hooper cloak as it might be and all alone i opened the gate that night so i went up when the coach came and was a-waitin at the parlour door and wasn't he a-tremblin neither the poor creature sees him and could hardly walk to meet him oh harry she says 
that it should have come to this and all for my sake says she putting her hand upon his shoulder so he puts his arm round her pretty little waist and leading her gently a little way into the room so that he might be able to shut the door he says so kind and soft like why kate says he here's a gentleman you want said ikey abruptly breaking off his story and introducing mr gabriel parsons to the crestfallen watkins tottle who at that moment entered the room watkins advanced with a wooden expression of passive endurance and accepted the hand which mr gabriel parsons held out i want to speak to you said gabriel with a look strongly expressive of his dislike of the company this way replied the imprisoned one leading the way to the front drawing-room where rich debtors did the luxurious at the rate of a couple of guineas a day well here i am said mr watkins as he sat down on the sofa and placing the palms of his hands on his knees anxiously glanced at his friend's countenance yes and here you're likely to be said gabriel coolly as he rattled the money in his unmentionable pockets and looked out of the window what's the amount with the costs inquired parsons after an awkward pause have you any money nine and sixpence halfpenny mr gabriel parsons walked up and down the room for a few seconds before he could make up his mind to disclose the plan he had formed he was accustomed to drive hard bargains but was always most anxious to conceal his avarice at length he stopped short and said tottle you owe me fifty pounds i do and from all i see i infer that you are likely to owe it to me i fear i am though you have every disposition to pay me if you could certainly then said mr gabriel parsons listen here's my proposition you know my way of old accept it yes or no i will or i won't i'll pay the debts and costs and i'll lend you ten pounds more which added to your annuity will enable you to carry on the war well if you'll give me your note of hand to pay me one hundred and fifty pounds within six months after you are married to miss lillerton my dear stop a minute on one condition and that is that you propose to miss lillerton at once at once my dear parsons consider it is for you to consider not me she knows you well from reputation though she did not know you personally until lately notwithstanding all her maiden modesty i think she'll be devilish glad to get married out of hand with as little delay as possible my wife has sounded her on the subject and she has confessed what what eagerly interrupted the enamoured watkins why replied parsons to say exactly what she has confessed would be rather difficult because they only spoke in hints and so forth but my wife who is no bad judge in these cases declared to me that what she had confessed was as good as to say that she was not insensible of your merits in fact that no other man should have her mr watkins tottle rose hastily from his seat and rang the bell what's that for inquired parsons i want to send the man for the bill stamp replied mr watkins tottle then you've made up your mind i have and they shook hands most cordially the note of hand was given the debt and costs were paid ikey was satisfied for his trouble and the two friends soon found themselves on that side of mr solomon jacobs establishment on which most of his visitors were very happy when they found themselves once again to wit the outside now mr gabriel parsons as they drove to norwood together you shall have an opportunity to make the disclosure to-night and mind you speak out tottle i will i will replied watkins valorously how i should like to see you together ejaculated mr gabriel parsons what fun and he laughed so long and loudly that he disconcerted mr watkins tottle and frightened the horse 
"'There's Fanny and your intended walking about on the lawn,' said Gabriel, as they approached the house. "'Mind your eye, Tottle.' "'Never fear,' replied Watkins, resolutely, as he made his way to the spot where the ladies were walking. "'Here's Mr. Tottle, my dear,' said Mrs. Parsons, addressing Miss Lillerton. The lady turned quickly round, and acknowledged his courteous salute with the same sort of confusion that Watkins had noticed on their first interview, but with something like a slight expression of disappointment or carelessness. "'Did you see how glad she was to see you?' whispered Parsons to his friend. "'Why, I really thought she looked as if she would rather have seen somebody else,' replied Tottle. "'Pooh, nonsense!' whispered Parsons again. "'It's always the way with women, young or old. They never show how delighted they are to see those whose presence makes their hearts beat. It's the way with the whole sex, and no man should have lived to your time of life without knowing it. Fanny confessed it to me when we were first married, over and over again. See what it is to have a wife.' "'Certainly,' whispered Tottle, whose courage was vanishing fast. "'Well, now you'd better begin to pave the way,' said Parsons, who, having invested some money in the speculation, assumed the office of director. "'Yes, yes, I will—presently,' replied Tottle, greatly flurried. "'Say something to her, man,' urged Parsons again. "'Confound it! Pay her a compliment, can't you?' "'No, not till after dinner,' replied the bashful Tottle anxious to postpone the evil moment. "'Well, gentlemen,' said Mrs. Parsons, "'you are really very polite. You stay away the whole morning after promising to take us out, and when you do come home you stand whispering together and take no notice of us. "'We were talking of the business, my dear, which detained us this morning,' replied Parsons, looking significantly at Tottle. "'Dear me!' "'How very quickly the morning has gone,' said Miss Lillerton, referring to the gold watch, which was wound up on state occasions, whether it required it or not. "'I think it has passed very slowly,' mildly suggested Tottle. "'That's right. Bravo!' whispered Parsons. "'Indeed,' said Miss Lillerton, with an air of majestic surprise. "'I can only impute it to my unavoidable absence from your society, madam,' said Watkins, "'and that of Mrs. Parsons.' During this short dialogue, the ladies had been leading the way to the house. "'What the deuce did you stick Fanny into that last compliment for?' inquired Parsons, as they followed together. "'It quite spoilt the effect.' "'Oh, it really would have been too broad without,' replied Watkins Tottle. "'Much too broad.' "'He's mad,' Parsons whispered his wife, as they entered the drawing-room. "'Mad from modesty.' "'Dear me,' ejaculated the lady. "'I never heard of such a thing.' "'You'll find we have quite a family dinner, Mr. Tottle,' said Mrs. Parsons, when they sat down to table. "'Miss Lillerton is one of us, and, of course, we make no stranger of you.' Mr. Watkins Tottle expressed a hope that the Parsons family never would make a stranger of him, and wished internally that his bashfulness would allow him to feel a little less like a stranger himself. "'Take off the covers, Martha,' said Mrs. Parsons, directing the shifting of the scenery with great anxiety. The order was obeyed and a pair of boiled fowls, with tongues and etc., were displayed at the top, and a fillet of veal at the bottom. On one side of the table, two green sauce-tureens, with ladles of the same, were setting to each other in a green dish, and on the other was a curried rabbit in a brown suit, turned up with lemon. "'Miss Lillerton, my dear,' said Mrs. Parsons, "'shall I assist you?' "'Thank you, no. I think I'll trouble Mr. Tottle.' Watkins started, trembled, 
helped the rabbit, and broke a tumbler. The countenance of the lady of the house, which had been all smiles previously, underwent an awful change. "'Extremely sorry,' stammered Watkins, assisting himself to curry and parsley and butter in the extremity of his confusion. "'Not the least consequence,' replied Mrs. Parsons, in a tone which implied that it was of the greatest consequence possible, directing aside the researchers of the boy, who was groping under the table for the bits of broken glass. "'I presume,' said Miss Littleton, that Mr. Tottle is aware of the interest which bachelors usually pay in such cases, a dozen glasses for one is the lowest penalty. Mr. Gabriel Parsons gave his friend an admonitory tread on the toe. Here was a clear hint that the sooner he ceased to be a bachelor and emancipated himself from such penalties the better. Mr. Watkins Tottle viewed the observation in the same light, and challenged Mrs. Parsons to take wine, with a degree of presence of mind which, under all the circumstances, was rather extraordinary. "'Miss Lillerton,' said Gabriel, "'may I have the pleasure?' "'I shall be most happy.' "'Tottle, will you assist Miss Lillerton and pass the decanter? Thank you.' The usual pantomimic ceremony of nodding and sipping gone through. "'Tottle, were you ever in Suffolk?' inquired the master of the house, who was burning to tell one of his seven-stock stories. "'No,' responded Watkins, adding by way of a saving clause, "'but I have been in Devonshire.' "'Ah,' replied Gabriel, "'it was in Suffolk that a rather singular circumstance happened to me many years ago. Did you ever happen to hear me mention it?' Mr. Watkins' toddle head happened to hear his friend mention it some four hundred times. Of course he expressed great curiosity, and evinced the utmost impatience to hear the story again. Mr. Gabriel Parsons forthwith attempted to proceed, in spite of the interruptions to which, as our readers must frequently have observed, the master of the house is often exposed in such cases. We will attempt to give them an idea of our meaning. "'When I was in Suffolk,' said Mr. Gabriel Parsons, "'take off the fowls first, Marsha,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'I beg your pardon, my dear.' "'When I was in Suffolk,' resumed Mr. Parsons, with an impatient glance at his wife, who pretended not to observe it, which is now years ago, business led me to the town of Bury St. Edmunds. I had to stop at the principal places in my way, and therefore, for the sake of convenience, I travelled in a jig. I left Sudbury one dark night. It was winter-time, about nine o'clock. The rain poured in torrents, the wind howled among the trees that skirted the roadside, and I was obliged to proceed at a foot-pace for I could hardly see my hand before me, it was so dark. "'John,' interrupted Mrs. Parsons, in a low, hollow voice, "'don't spill the gravy.' "'Fanny,' said Parsons, impatiently, "'I wish you'd defer these domestic reproofs to some more suitable time. Really, my dear, these constant interruptions are very annoying.' "'My dear, I didn't interrupt you,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'But, my dear, you did interrupt me,' remonstrated Mr. Parsons. "'How very absurd you are, my love! I must give directions to the servants. I am quite sure that if I sat here and allowed John to spill the gravy over my new carpet, you'd be the first to find fault when you saw the stain to-morrow morning.' "'Well,' continued Gabriel, with a resigned air, as if he knew there was no getting over the point about the carpet, "'I was just saying. It was so dark that I could hardly see my hand before me. The road was very lonely, and I assure you, Tottle, 
this was a device to arrest the wandering attention of that individual, which was distracted by a confidential communication between Mrs. Parsons and Martha, accompanied by the delivery of a large bunch of keys. I assure you, Tottle, I became somehow impressed with a sense of the loneliness of my situation. Pray to your master, interrupted Mrs. Parsons, again directing the servant. Now pray, my dear, remonstrated Parsons once more, very pettishly. Mrs. P. turned up her hands and eyebrows, and appealed in dumb show to Miss Lillerton. As I turned a corner of the road, resumed Gabriel, the horse stopped short and reared tremendously. I pulled up, jumped out, ran to his head, and found a man lying on his back in the middle of the road, with his eyes fixed on the sky. I thought he was dead, but no, he was alive, and there appeared to be nothing the matter with him. He jumped up, and putting his hand to his chest and fixing upon me the most earnest gaze you can imagine, exclaimed, "'Pudding here,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'Oh, it's no use!' exclaimed the host, now rendered desperate. "'Here, Tottle, a glass of wine. It's useless to attempt relating anything when Mrs. Parsons is present.' This attack was received in the usual way. Mrs. Parsons talked to Miss Littleton, and, at her better half, expatiated on the impatience of men generally, hinted that her husband was peculiarly vicious in this respect, and wound up by insinuating that she must be one of the best tempers that ever existed, or she could never put up with it. Really, what she had to endure sometimes was more than any one who saw her in everyday life could by possibility suppose. The story was now a painful subject and therefore Mr. Parsons declined to enter into any details, and contented himself by stating that the man was a maniac who had escaped from a neighbouring madhouse. The cloth was removed, the ladies soon afterward retired, and Miss Lillerton played the piano in the drawing-room overhead, very loudly, for the edification of the visitor. Mr. Watkins Tottle and Mr. Gabriel Parsons sat chatting comfortably enough, until the conclusion of the second bottle, when the latter, in proposing an adjournment to the drawing-room, informed Watkins that he had concerted a plan with his wife for leaving him and Miss Littleton alone soon after tea. "'I say,' said Tottle, as they went upstairs, "'don't you think it would be better if we put it off till—till to-morrow?' "'Don't you think it would have been much better if I had left you in that wretched hole I found you in this morning?' retorted Parsons bluntly. "'Well, well, I only made a suggestion,' said poor Watkins Tottle, with a deep sigh." Tea was soon concluded, and Miss Lillerton, drawing a small work-table on one side of the fire, and placing a little wooden frame upon it, something like a miniature clay mill without the horse, was soon busily engaged in making a watch-guard with brown silk. "'God bless me!' exclaimed Parsons, starting up with well-feigned surprise. "'I've forgotten those confounded letters. Tottle, I know you'll excuse me.' If Tottle had been a free agent, he would have allowed no one to leave the room on any pretense except himself. As it was, however, he was obliged to look cheerful when Parsons quitted the apartment. He had scarcely left when Martha put her head into the room with, "'Please, ma'am, you're wanted.' Mrs. Parsons left the room, shut the door carefully after her, and Mr. Watkins Tottle was left alone with Miss Lillerton. For the first five minutes there was dead silence. Mr. Watkins Tottle was thinking how he should begin, and Miss Lillerton appeared to be thinking of nothing. The fire was burning low. Mr. Watkins Tottle stirred it and put some coals on. "'Ahem!' coughed Miss Lillerton. Mr. Watkins Tottle thought the fair creature had spoken. "'I beg your pardon,' said he. "'Eh? I thought you spoke. No. Oh. 
"'There are some books on the sofa, Mr. Tottle, if you would like to look at them,' said Miss Littleton, after the lapse of another five minutes. "'No, thank you,' returned Watkins, and then he added, with a courage which was perfectly astonishing even to himself, "'Madam, that is, Miss Littleton, I wish to speak to you.' "'To me,' said Miss Littleton, letting the silk drop from her hands, and sliding her chair back a few paces, "'speak to me, to you, madam, and on the subject of the state of your affections.' The lady hastily rose, and would have left the room, but Mr. Watkins Tottle gently detained her by the hand, and holding it as far from him as the joint length of their arms would permit, he thus proceeded, "'Pray do not misunderstand me.' or suppose that I am led to address you, after so short an acquaintance, by any feeling of my own merits, for merits I have none which could give me a claim to your hand, I hope you will acquit me of any presumption when I explain that I have been acquainted through Mrs. Parsons with the state—that is, that Mrs. Parsons has told me—at least, not Mrs. Parsons, but—here Watkins began to wander, but Miss Littleton relieved him. "'Am I to understand, Mr. Tottle, that Mrs. Parsons has acquainted you with my feeling, my affection, I mean my respect, for an individual of the opposite sex? She has.' "'Then what,' inquired Miss Littleton, averting her face with a girlish air, "'what could induce you to seek such an interview as this? What can your object be? How can I promote your happiness, Mr. Tottle?' Here was the time for a flourish. "'By allowing me,' replied Watkins, falling bump on his knees, and breaking two brace-buttons and a waistcoat-string in the act, "'by allowing me to be your slave, your servant, in short, by unreservedly making me the confidant of your heart's feelings, may I say, for the promotion of your own happiness, may I say, in order that you may become the wife of a kind and affectionate husband.' "'Disinterested creature!' exclaimed Miss Littleton, hiding her face in a white pocket-handkerchief with an eyelet-hole border. Mr. Watkins Tottle thought that if the lady knew all she might possibly alter her opinion on this last point. He raised the tip of her middle finger ceremoniously to his lips, and got off his knees as gracefully as he could. "'My information was correct?' he tremulously inquired, when he was once more on his feet. "'It was.' Watkins elevated his hands and looked up to the ornament in the centre of the ceiling, which had been made for a lamp, by way of expressing his rapture. "'Our situation, Mr. Tottle,' resumed the lady, glancing at him through one of the eyelet-holes, "'is a most peculiar and delicate one.' "'It is,' said Mr. Tottle. "'Our acquaintance has been of so short duration,' said Miss Littleton. "'Only a week,' assented Watkins Tottle. "'Oh, more than that!' exclaimed the lady, in a tone of surprise. "'Indeed,' said Tottle. "'More than a month. More than two months,' said Miss Littleton. "'Rather odd, this,' thought Watkins. "'Oh,' he said, recollecting Parson's assurance that she had known him from report, "'I understand. But, my dear madam, pray consider, the longer this acquaintance has existed, the less reason is there for delay now. Why not at once fix a period for gratifying the hopes of your devoted admirer?' "'It has been represented to me again and again that this is the course I ought to pursue,' replied Miss Littleton. "'But pardon my feelings of delicacy, Mr. Tottle. Pray excuse this embarrassment. I have peculiar ideas on such subjects, and I am quite sure that I could never summon up fortitude enough to name the day to my future husband.' "'Then allow me to name it,' said Tottle eagerly. "'I should like to fix it myself,' replied Miss Littleton bashfully. 
but I cannot do so without at once resorting to a third party.' "'A third party?' thought Watkins Tottle. "'Who the deuce is that to me, I wonder?' "'Mr. Tottle,' continued Miss Littleton, "'you have made me a most disinterested and kind offer. That offer I accept. Will you at once be the bearer of a note from me to—to to Mr. Timson?' "'Mr. Timson,' said Watkins, "'after what has passed between us,' responded Miss Littleton, still averting her head, "'you must understand whom I mean.' "'Mr. Timson, the—the clergyman—Mr. Timson, the clergyman!' ejaculated Watkins Tottle, in a state of inexpressible beatitude and positive wonder at his own success. "'Angel, certainly, this moment—' "'I'll prepare it immediately,' said Miss Littleton, making for the door. "'The events of this day have flurried me so much, Mr. Tottle, that I shall not leave my room again this evening. I will send you the note by the servant.' "'Stay, stay!' cried Watkins Tottle, still keeping a most respectful distance from the lady. "'When shall we meet again?' "'Oh, Mr. Tottle,' replied Miss Littleton coquettishly, "'when we are married. I can never see you too often, nor thank you too much.' And she left the room. Mr. Watkins Tottle flung himself into an armchair, and indulged the most delicious reveries of future bliss, in which the idea of five hundred pounds per annum with an uncontrolled power of disposing of it by her last will and testament, was somehow or other the foremost. He had gone through the interview so well, and it had terminated so admirably, that he almost began to wish he had expressly stipulated for the settlement of the annual five hundred on himself. "'May I come in?' said Mr. Gabriel Parsons, peeping in at the door. "'You may,' replied Watkins. "'Well, have you done it?' anxiously inquired Gabriel. "'Have I done it?' said Watkins Tottle. "'Hush!' "'I'm going to the clergyman.' "'No,' said Parsons. "'How well you have managed it!' "'Where does Timson live?' inquired Watkins. "'At his uncle's,' replied Gabriel, "'just round the lane. "'He's waiting for a living, "'and has been assisting his uncle here "'for the last two or three months. "'But how well you have done it! "'I didn't think you could have carried it off so.' Mr. Watkins Tottle was proceeding to demonstrate that the Richardsonian principle was the best on which love could possibly be made, when he was interrupted by the entrance of Martha, with a little pink note folded like a fancy-cocked hat. "'Miss Lillerton's compliments,' said Martha, as she delivered it into Tottle's hands, and vanished. "'Do you observe the delicacy?' said Tottle, appealing to Mr. Gabriel Parsons. "'Compliments, not love, by the servant, eh?' Mr. Gabriel Parsons didn't exactly know what reply to make, so he poked his forefinger of his right hand between the third and fourth ribs of Mr. Watkins' tottle. "'Come,' said Watkins, when the explosion of mirth consequent on this practical jest had subsided, "'we'll be off at once. Let's lose no time.' "'Capital!' echoed Gabriel Parsons, and in five minutes they were at the garden gate of the villa tenanted by the uncle of Mr. Timson. "'Is Mr. Charles Timson at home?' inquired Mr. Watkins Tottle, of Mr. Charles Timson's uncle's man. "'Mr. Charles is at home,' replied the man, stammering. "'But he desired me to say he couldn't be interrupted, sir, by any of the parishioners.' "'I am not a parishioner,' replied Watkins. "'Is Mr. Charles writing a sermon, Tom?' inquired Parsons, thrusting himself forward. "'No, Mr. Parsons, sir, he's not exactly writing a sermon.' but he is practising the violoncello in his own bedroom, and gave strict orders not to be disturbed. "'Say I'm here,' replied Gabriel, leading the way across the garden. "'Mr. Parsons and Mr. Tottle on private and particular business.' They were shown into the parlour, 
and the servant departed to deliver his message. The distant groaning of the violoncello ceased. Footsteps were heard on the stairs, and Mr. Timson presented himself and shook hands with Parsons with the utmost cordiality. "'How do you do, sir?' said Watkins Tottle, with great solemnity. "'How do you do, sir?' replied Timson, with as much coldness as if it were a matter of perfect indifference to him how he did, as it very likely was. "'I beg to deliver this note to you,' said Watkins Tottle, producing the cocked hat. "'From Miss Lillerton,' said Timson, suddenly changing colour. "'Pray sit down.' Mr. Watkins Tottle sat down, and while Timson perused the note, fixed his eyes on an oyster-sauce-coloured portrait of the Archbishop of Canterbury, which hung over the fireplace. Mr. Timson rose from his seat, when he had concluded the note, and looked dubiously at Parsons. "'May I ask,' he inquired, appealing to Watkins Tottle, "'whether our friend here is acquainted with the object of your visit?' "'Our friend is in my confidence,' replied Watkins, with considerable importance. "'Then, sir,' said Timson, seizing both Tottle's hands, "'allow me in his presence to thank you most unfailingly and cordially for the noble part you have acted in this affair.' "'He thinks I recommended him,' thought Tottle. "'Confound these fellows! They never think of anything but their fees.' "'I deeply regret having misunderstood your intentions, my dear sir,' continued Timson. "'Disinterested and manly, indeed. There are very few men who would have acted as you have done.' Mr. Watkins Tottle could not help thinking that this last remark was anything but complimentary. He therefore inquired rather hastily, "'When is it to be?' "'On Thursday,' replied Timson. "'On Thursday morning at half-past eight. "'Uncommonly early,' observed Watkins Tottle, with an air of triumphant self-denial. "'I shall hardly be able to get down here by that hour.' This was intended for a joke. "'Never mind, my dear fellow,' replied Timson, all suavity, shaking hands with Tottle again most heartily. "'So long as we see you to breakfast, you know.' "'Eh?' said Parsons, with one of the most extraordinary expressions of countenance that ever appeared in a human face. "'What?' ejaculated Watkins Tottle at the same moment. "'I say that so long we see you to breakfast,' replied Timson. "'We will excuse your being absent from the ceremony, though, of course, your presence at it would give us the utmost pleasure.' Mr. Watkins Tottle staggered against the wall, and fixed his eyes on Timson, with appalling perseverance. "'Timson,' said Parsons, hurriedly brushing his hat with his left arm, "'when you say, us, whom do you mean?' Mr. Timson looked foolish in his turn, when he replied, "'Why, Mrs. Timson, that will be this day week, Miss Lillerton, that is.' "'Now don't stare at that idiot in the corner,' angrily exclaimed Parsons, at the extraordinary convulsions of Watkin Tottle's countenance exceeded the wandering gaze of Timson's. "'But have the goodness to tell me in three words the contents of that note.' "'This note,' replied Timson, "'is from Miss Lillerton, to whom I have been for the last five weeks regularly engaged. Her singular scruples and strange feeling on some points have hitherto prevented my bringing the engagement to that termination.' which I so anxiously desire. She informs me here that she sounded Mrs. Parsons with the view of making her her confidant and go-between, that Mrs. Parsons informed this elderly gentleman, Mr. Tottle, of the circumstance, and that he, in the most kind and delicate terms, offered to assist us in any way, and even undertook to convey this note, which contains the promise I have long sought in vain, an act of kindness for which I can never be sufficiently grateful." "'Good-night, Timson,' said Parsons, hurrying off and carrying the bewildered Tottle with him. "'Won't you stay and have something?' said Timson. "'No, thank you,' replied Parsons. "'I've had quite enough.' And away he went, followed by Watkins Tottle, in a state of stupefaction. 
Mr. Gabriel Parsons whistled until they had walked some quarter of a mile past his own gate, when he suddenly stopped and said, "'You are a clever fellow, Tottle, ain't you?' "'I don't know,' said the unfortunate Watkins. "'I suppose you'll say this is Fanny's fault, won't you?' inquired Gabriel. "'I don't know anything about it,' replied the bewildered Tottle. "'Well,' said Parsons, turning on his heel to go home, "'the next time you make an offer, you had better speak plainly, and don't throw a chance away. And the next time you're locked up at a sponging-house, just wait there till I come and take you out, there's a good fellow.' How or at what hour Mr. Watkins Tottle returned to Cecil Street is unknown. His boots were seen outside his bedroom door next morning, but we have the authority of his landlady for stating that he neither emerged therefrom nor accepted sustenance for four-and-twenty hours. At the expiration of that period, and when a council of war was being held in the kitchen on the propriety of summoning the parochial beetle to break his door down, he rang his bell and demanded a cup of milk and water. The next morning he went through the formalities of eating and drinking as usual, but a week afterwards he was seized with a relapse while pursuing the list of marriages in a morning paper from which he never perfectly recovered. A few weeks after the last named occurrence, the body of a gentleman unknown was found in the Regent's Canal. In the trousers' pockets were four shillings and threepence halfpenny, a matrimonial advertisement from a lady which appeared to have been cut out of a Sunday paper, a toothpick and a card-case, which, it is confidentially believed, would have led to the identification of the unfortunate gentleman, but for the circumstance of there being none but blank cards in it. Mr. Watkins Tottle absented himself from his lodging shortly before. A bill which has not been taken up was presented next morning, and a bill which has not been taken down was soon afterwards affixed in his parlour window. End of section 56